As you're being seated, go ahead and find your Bibles, open them up, turn them on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20 and chapter 21 as well. I'm a big fan of church camp. I met my wife at church camp and was called to the ministry at church camp. I saw the other day that there was one of the big churches was doing a PK camp. Anybody know what a PK is? Preacher's kid or pastor's kid. And so I thought to myself, that's really good because there's some unique needs that pastor's kids have. Uh, you know, they grow up in somewhat of a glass house when you're a pastor's kid, preacher's kid. Uh, people have high expectations. They kind of think you're born knowing the entire Bible. And if you're not, they're like, what's wrong with you? And you also go to work with your father. And my dad's a godly, loving man. But when you're a pastor, sometimes you, you make some hard decisions. And you also take some stands on some things that are biblical that may not be very popular. And so I remember growing up in church and hearing people criticize my dad, say things about him that I knew just were not true, and, and listening to that. And a lot of preacher's kids wind up becoming disillusioned with church. Whenever I was in college, there was a preacher that I listened to every day on the way to school. You know, I'd plug in my 8-track, and I would just, I'm kidding, it wasn't an 8-track, but uh, it was a cassette, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you guys know what a cassette is? Okay, good, good, okay, and there were floppy discs, too, back in the Stone Ages, and so I'd listen to this preacher every day on the way to school, and he really was uh, instrumental in helping me and did a lot for me, even though I never met him, and then a few years ago, I discovered that Uh, He had actually been living a double life. And even though I never met the guy, I was so hurt. I I felt um, tricked because this guy had been so instrumental to my spiritual development. And then you find out that he wasn't really who he portrayed to be. Uh, A lot of Christians struggle because somewhere along the line, you became disillusioned by someone in the church that you looked up to. Maybe your church made a decision and they had their reasons, but you didn't agree and you became disillusioned. I won't ask you to raise your hands today, but I'm guessing that a lot of us in this room have our church story, the thing that happened to you in church. And I run into this often, so I think what we're talking about today is important. Sometimes I see it in the post-church Christian. The Christian says, well, I used to go, but then this happened, and so I still love God, but I don't go to church anymore. Sometimes it's the cynical Christian. Still go to church, but you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, a little bit perhaps of a judging spirit, just a little a little bite your Christianity. Sometimes it's the apathetic Christian. You're here, but your heart's not here. You're kind of just numb. Sometimes it's the scared Christian. (laughs) You used to serve the Lord faithfully, and you used to really just be all in, and now you kind of attend church and serve God like a scared child that's going to the pool. You have your little floaties on, 
and you stay in the kiddie pool <laughs> and you look over at the deep end and you think, man, I used to swim in the deep end, but now I'm kind of scared. I've been burned and I don't know if I want to jump in again. Disillusionment is an enemy of hope. And sometimes the evil one will use disillusionment to keep us from truly experiencing what God has for us today. What I believe is that God has some great blessings and opportunities for you. I believe that there are some things that God wants to do with your life today and in the days to come. What I observe, though, is that sometimes people are so stuck in what has happened that we don't even see the blessings that are right in front of us. And sometimes our life is so full of so much baggage from the past that there is no room in our life for the blessings of today. And I don't believe that that's how God wants you to live. I don't believe God wants you to live unchurched, cynical, apathetic. I don't believe God wants you to live scared. And so for all of us that have a church story that threatens to steal your hope, the two passages that we're going to look at today are for you. I hope that God speaks to you through them. The first passage, we see some guys that represent everything that is bad about Christianity. Luke chapter 20 and verse 46. Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplace, the front seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive greater punishment. So Jesus says, be on guard here. Beware, there is danger here. Look out for this group of people that are called the scribes. Now, on the outside, the scribes looked pretty good. On the outside, they were very, very spiritual. In fact, the scribes knew the Scriptures really well. They could tell you just about anything in the Bible. And not only did they know the Scriptures, but they also were responsible for the policies and procedures that went along with the Scriptures. And so they loved to give you a church ticket to catch you doing something that you were not supposed to do. You need to understand that maturity in the Christian life is not seen by how much you know. Maturity is seen when what you know meets how you live. You need to know the Scriptures. You need to study them deeply. You need to engage yourself in life group and Bible study. But realize this, maturity is not based upon the amount of verses that you can quote. Maturity is seen when what you know about God meets how you live. And ultimately, the greatest mark of a disciple is that you are trying and you are living your life like Christ. Well, these scribes, they went around with what Jesus called long robes. And the whole point of the long robes was so that everybody could look at them and, and notice them. They were, they were dressing the part. I sometimes uh, joke about preacher wear. Preacher wear kind of cracks me up. Uh, if you look at the last hundred years of preachers, they've, they've had kind of a distinct clothing. You know, about a hundred years ago, preachers used to wear robes. In fact, some traditions, they still wear the robes. And then for a long time, 
uh, preachers wore suits and ties, you know, nice business suits and ties. In fact, I think my dad sometimes mowed the grass in a suit and tie, you know, you know and, and he wasn't unique for his era. And then there was the Hawaiian shirt era. You remember when all preachers were wearing Hawaiian shirts and, and that was what was cool. And now we're kind of in the hipster era where, you know, preachers are supposed to have a long beard and shave their head and have some type of Hebrew tattoo on their arm. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. I, I tell the, the guys who are coming into ministry sometimes, just just be you. Uh, just be who you are. Be who God made you to be. People sometimes ask me, what's the dress code at Murphy Road? Uh, the dress code here is that you wear clothes, okay? Very important that you wear clothes. And we ask you to have some common sense. Uh, there are certain things that just aren't appropriate for church. It may be appropriate for the pool, but it's not appropriate for church. So use some common sense there and, and just be you. If you like to Dress up, then dress up. If you're more casual, then be casual. It's okay to just be you. But these guys wore long robes so that everybody could see that they were super spiritual. And they had swollen heads. When people, people told them how great they were, they were like, you know, you're right. I, I am pretty great. And uh, whenever they went to a banquet, they enjoyed having a special seat of honor. They loved position and power, and they loved control. They loved it whenever people had to come to them in order to get what they needed, and they probably saw themselves as the doors to God. You have to come through us in order to know God. They were religious on the outside, but inside their hearts were dark. I mean, how low have you gone when you start taking advantage of widows. Jesus says that these guys devoured widows' houses. They took advantage of them financially. They conned them out of their estate. My guess is since these men were corrupt financially, they were probably sexually corrupt as well. They were hypocrites, posing to be something that they were not. Now, hypocrisy is a sensitive subject. I think we need, to understand, we need to understand something as well, that sometimes a sincere Christian falls into sin. Sometimes a sincere Christian does things that he or she should not. They're not a hypocrite. They were genuine, but they fell into sin, and they need to be restored. Repent of that sin and come back to God. That's not hypocrisy. That's falling away or falling into sin. Hypocrisy is when you wear a mask, when you continually pose to be something that you are not. And this is a sensitive subject. It hits a lot of people. And there's five things here that I want you to understand. Number one, understand this. Everyone is a sinner. Uh, There's no perfect people here. Everyone in the room is a sinner. And it's very important when it comes to your faith that you don't place your faith or your hope in a person. Because if you do, you will be disappointed. Our hope and our faith is to be in Christ. Please don't place your faith or your hope in me. I will disappoint you. In fact, I'm sure after 10 years of doing life together, there's been times where I've disappointed some of you all. 
I ask your forgiveness for those moments. But I also realize that we're all, we're all sinners, saved by grace. And if we place our hope in one another, we will disappoint one another. Our hope has to be in Christ. Don't put your hope in your life group leader. Don't put your hope in a famous author or some singer. Put your hope, put your faith in Christ. He is the one that we follow. He is the one that we seek. Number two, there have always been, and until Jesus returns, there will always be some who pose as Christians but are hypocrites. Now that doesn't make it right, but it is a reality. There will always be some in the church who are posing to be something that they are not. Number three, Jesus says, whenever I return, the hypocrite, the scribe, will receive the greater judgment. You say, Lash, what does that mean that they're going to receive the greater judgment? I don't know for sure, and I don't want to know, (laughs) right? There's some things we just don't want to know, but Jesus says, whenever I return, they will receive the greater judgment. Number four, if somewhere along the way you've been hurt or disillusioned by self-righteous hypocrites, realize these people don't represent Jesus Christ. In fact, they are the very ones who rejected him and schemed to have him crucified. And number five, this is very important. There are many, many people in the church and in the Christian community who are genuinely and sincerely living out their faith and trying to be like Christ. There are many, many people in this room who are genuinely and sincerely living out faith in Jesus Christ. And I think it's time for Christian people to quit letting hypocrites push us out of church. It's time to quit letting those who are merely posing as Christians speak for Christ. We need to reject hypocrisy and embrace the Savior. Amen? Now, in our second passage, we meet someone who, uh, she represents everything that is right with our faith. Look at chapter 21 and verse 1. He looked up. And he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Now, we start out with the wealthy dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And I should say something here, that there is nothing wrong with being blessed by God financially. There are some wealthy people that have genuine, sincere hearts, and God uses them and has given them opportunity to 
resource the kingdom in unique ways. As you drive around Dallas and you see these beautiful churches, realize that many of them have been built because God blessed some people financially and they were able to give in such a way as to build houses of worship. So there is nothing wrong with you having nice things. There is nothing wrong with uh, you being blessed financially. And I am so thankful for the spirit of generosity, for the spirit of sacrifice, for the spirit of faithfulness that we see in our church as you all give week after week. I'm amazed at how God's people will give to take care of the church, what we're able to do now over in the worship center, uh, the ability to bring on a director of communications and to have for the first time in our church's history coming a director of kids ministry. Those are all testimonies to your faithfulness and your generosity in giving. My own family is a recipient of your giving and we're so very, very thankful and thankful that you give not to me or to someone, but you ultimately give to Jesus, to God, because you want to honor him. And we try to make giving easy these days. There's a lot of different ways that you can give. You can give, um, you can text to give. You can give online at murphychurch.com slash give. You can do online banking. You can give to the plate. You can use the offering envelopes. You know, in some churches, they do what's called the offering march. You ever heard of that? They will have either offering plates or boxes at the front. And when it comes time for the offering, everybody marches to the front and puts their offering in the box. Now, that could get a little awkward, couldn't it? Yeah. And in some traditions, the preacher or the deacons will look at it, and if there's not enough, they say, let's march again. Now, don't worry. We're not going to do that. Well, uh, okay, we won't do that. We won't do that today. But in Jesus' day, they kind of had the offering march. The, the temple had these things called trumpets, and they looked like inverted horns, like upside-down horns. Uh, they were narrow at the top and larger at the, at the bottom. And during the Passover, during the big traffic seasons, people would come into the temple, and they would put their offerings in the trumpets. And there were 13 different trumpets, and seven of them represented different offerings that the people would give throughout the year. So you might have uh, the old shekel do, or the young shekel do, or the bird offering, or the young bird offering, and you'd put money in these various trumpets, and then they had six what they called the free will trumpets, and that's where you could kind of choose what you were giving to, and so like they might have the, uh, the church potluck trumpet. Uh, They were all Baptist, right? So, you know, they'd put money in the church potluck trumpet. Or, uh, you know, my friend Samson, he was trying to raise money for Solid Rock India back then. He was alive back in Jesus' day. and So they had the Samson trumpet over. I'm kidding about that. But, uh, you know, they had missions and things like that that they could give to. And the offering trumpets were a great place for people watching. Anybody like to watch people? Yeah, you stalkers. Okay, yeah, I, I, I enjoy watching people as well. In fact, I enjoy watching people during sermons. I, I wish I had preacher cam, you know? Give me a GoPro sometime, and maybe while I'm preaching, you could just see the camera, what I see up here, because I know everybody that's had a fight that morning. 
I can just tell, you know, by the body language. I, I know everybody that stayed up too late the night before and uh, those that I, I can see it. It's almost like there's these little bubbles when you start thinking about lunch. You know, I can see it when like, like water burger bubbles drift across the, the congregation. And, and uh, you know, I, I know who's paying attention and who's really listening. And so this was a great place for people watching. And some of the, some of the wealthy people, they would make a huge show. They would bring their trunk full of offering into the temple and, and they would place them in the trumpets for everybody to see. And, and people look at them in this culture with envy and they would be like, wow, I can't believe this person is giving this much money to the, to the temple. How, how impressive is this? And when they would put the money in, there would be oohs and ahs. And, cause they didn't text to give there. They put coins in the, in the, in the trumpets and there would be oohs and ahs. And that morning she woke up and she was all alone. And she got dressed and she went to the temple to worship. She looked forward to hearing the music. She looked forward to hearing the scriptures read. And she had her offering, and it wasn't much. All it was was two tiny coins, but it ultimately was everything that she had. She didn't even know how she was going to get her next meal that evening. And whenever she walked in the temple that day, nobody noticed when she dropped her two little coins into the trumpet and joined the worship. Nobody noticed except for God's Son. Because Jesus says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more has put in more than all of them, for all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Have you ever learned the secret in life of being a giving person? Of being a generous person? I'm not just talking about financially, although there is some truth there that when you learn to give financially, you begin to realize that you're not owned by money. You're not a prisoner of money. You learn to be a giving person and to give of your time and energy. It is amazing at how much you receive as you give. When I get disillusioned, when I get discouraged, one of the things that I try to do is I try to go spend some time ministering to the senior citizens or spend some time ministering to some children. And I discover that as you give of yourself and you pour out yourself for other people, what you find is that you receive far more than you give. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. And Jesus says to his disciples, you remember those guys? You remember those guys that came in here with these full buckets of money and they poured those into the temple? Yeah, we remember them, Jesus. He says, this little widow over here, she outgave them all. They probably scoffed and said, how's that? And Jesus said, well, they, they were giving out of their surplus. She was giving out of her poverty. 
She was giving all that she had. All, all she had was two copper coins. They were considered by many worthless. We often refer to them as the widow's mites. Those coins hardly made a noise whenever they landed in the trump- trumpet. And I can envision her coming up that day with her head down and maybe her hands folded, perhaps even tears running down her face because she had tasted the pain of life. Perhaps she was even struggling with disillusionment because her husband had passed away and she felt all alone in life and she didn't know how she was going to make it. And she, she was just coming to God that day and giving her her two mites, hoping that nobody would see her, hoping that nobody would notice her and she could just blend into the crowd and go off into the shadows. And all the while, standing off to the side, his Jesus, the Savior, smiling from ear to ear. Because he's like, this is real. This woman is genuine. This woman is pushing through her hurts, pushing through her story, pushing through her disillusionment, and she is trusting in God with everything she has. Realize this, there will always, always be people that, that serve for an audience of others. That doesn't need to be you. But they'll always be around us. And it's true, not just in the church, but it's true in other areas of life. With the, the wrong motives. You find that in politics and law enforcement, teaching, business, athletics, church. People that are just bad apples. But there's also a lot of good people that are teaching and serving in law enforcement and trying to make a difference. And if we were to tell our stories, we would discover that a lot of people in here have been burned. And sometimes, if we were completely honest, there may be times where we've done things, maybe even good things, but our own motives were not where they needed to be. And we needed to have our own heart checked. And there's been times where we have been recipients of the grace and forgiveness of God. Grace is the greatest gift that we can receive from God. And what a shame it is when it's often the last thing we're willing to extend to other people. It's easy to get disillusioned, to give up hope, to think that nothing matters. But I want to give you the key here. Here's the key. You've got to learn to live for an audience of one. And that audience is your Lord. And everything that you do have one common goal. To honor God. That's your goal in your ministry. That's your goal in your parenting. When you go to work, that's your goal. Whenever you go out into the community, that's your goal. The actions that you demonstrate, the words that you speak, the attitudes that you harbor have one common goal, and that is to honor God because we live for an audience of one. At the end of the day, thousands of people came by the trumpets and gave their offering. Some of them did it for the right reasons. Some of them did it for the wrong reasons. Some of, it, some of them were in it for themselves. Some were trying to buy God. Some were trying to get noticed. Some simply were worshipers 
who faded into the shadows. And Jesus was watching it all. And when nobody else noticed, God did. Now, one final question for you today. It's a life question. Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? I was driving down Murphy Road the other day, and I stopped at the red light. And as I was stopped there, I began to hear this. And I looked over, and there was one of these guys in a $5,000 car with a $10,000 stereo system. You know what I'm talking about? And I kind of looked at him, and I thought, man, when I grow up, I hope I can be like him. You know, maybe if I drink milk, then maybe I can be like this guy one day. And I thought, you know, he's probably trying to impress somebody, and he's probably trying to I guess they turned off my mic on that one, but uh, uh, I've never seen one of those guys pull up at a red light and suddenly women come out of their houses and go, who is that? Oh, I hear the sound. That is my knight in shining armor. Let me jump in the car and ride off to live happily ever after, though hearing impaired. You know, I've never seen, I've never seen that happen, but it's obvious that they're trying to impress people. And you know what? Uh, young, young men are not the only ones trying to impress people. A lot of us spend our life trying to impress people. Who are you trying to impress? You still trying to impress that 10th grade geometry teacher who said you weren't smart enough? You still trying to impress that dad who said you'd never amount to anything? You trying to impress that guy from high school? You run into him at the 7-Eleven and he still, he still has a bad mullet? Wearing his faded letter, ja- letter, letter jacket and parachute pants. Is that who you're trying to impress? You're trying to impress Facebook? Oh, maybe they'll like me. Trying to impress your boss? The one that doesn't really care at all about you? Who are you trying to impress? As long as you try to live your life for the applause of others, you will always be the rolling stone of dissatisfaction. As long as you place your faith in people, you'll always be disillusioned. Because your faith is only as good as the object or person in which it's placed. People are finite. People are flawed. You put your faith in them, they'll eventually let you down. And sometimes you'll feel disillusioned. That's why Christ calls us to place our faith in Him. Place your faith in Him. Live for an audience of one. When you're living for an audience of one, it doesn't matter whether you have much or whether you have little. It doesn't matter whether everything went well for you that day or whether everything was a struggle. You have one common goal, and that is that today I'm going to try to honor God. And I'm going to give God the greatest gift that I possibly can give Him. I'm going to give Him the gift of me. I'm going to give Him all that I have and ask Him to somehow use my life in a way that makes a difference. And honors him. Are you living for an audience of one? God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have blessing. God has things that he desires to do with your life today and in the days to come. Don't get stuck in what's happened. Don't get stuck in the past. Don't have your life so full of the baggage of yesterday that there's no room for the blessing of today. Empty your heart. Release the pain. Release the anger. And ask God to fill you with a deep, deep joy so that you might live with the fruit of the Spirit 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's be the people of God. I have a deep, deep prayer for our church that we will be authentic, that we'll be genuine. We'll never be a perfect church as long as I'm here. here, I'll make sure of that because I'm not perfect. But I sure pray that we're genuine, that we're authentic, and that we're seeking to follow Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in music. You may today just want to pray at your seat. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, I'm here at the front. Others may want to stand and sing with the band in a few moments. Perhaps you say to me, Lash, I have my church story. I've, I've tasted that disillusionment that you've talked about. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not even going to ask you to move, but I would like to pray for you. If you have your church story and you'd just like to ask me to pray for you today, would you just lift your hand quietly right where you are and just say, Lash, just pray for me. I have my church story. I've, 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 I've gone through some of this that you're talking about today. Would you just pray for me? Just lift your hand right where you are. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person in here. We won't have our faith in those things that are disappointing, but Father, may we have our faith in those things that are eternal and realize that our hope is in You. Father, I pray for healing. I pray, Father, for restoration. I pray that You'll help us in some cases to release the past and experience the joy of today and tomorrow. Help us, Lord, to live for an audience of one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.